This is In Search of the Pluriverse. We are Sophie Creer and Eric Vaughn. Join us in our search for a world in which many worlds can thrive. We were invited by Het Nieuwe Instituut to be the first curators of their traveling academy. For more context, go to pluriverse.hetnieuweinstituut.nl And follow us on Instagram at In Search of the Pluriverse. In 2010, we, Sophie Creer and I, lived and worked for three months in Casa, as locals call Casablanca. The aim was to embrace the city as a place of production and to make a portrait of its hidden qualities. We named it Easy Casa, Ville Inventive. The resulting exhibition was an optimistic tribute to the resourcefulness of a thriving city. Many questions, however, were left unanswered once the residency was over. For instance, the fragility and invisibility of the quite substantial informal economy and the large-scale gentrification of the city through capital investors. More than 10 years and a pandemic later, we returned to Casa, in search of who makes the city, who owns it, and who is granted access to it. That's the sound of pouring Moroccan mint tea. Uh, we are sitting on a rooftop terrace with um, Ruben Yemo Odoi. You prefer to be called Yemo, we learned. You're pouring another cup because you just poured it back into the teapot. Is that to warm up the glass? Yeah, it's to warm up the glass and refresh the tea two things at the same time. <laughs> Yemo, um, we are sitting here because you participated this morning in the group discussion yeah. at the uh, Musée Collectif. And then you took us on a walk through uh, the sub-Saharan market, yeah. the old Medina, and now we are on the harbour side yeah. of the old Medina. At the place where you first arrived in Casa, so yeah. we, we will get to that in a second. Um, but let's talk a little bit about how you how you got here and the parcours you had to go through. So you told me just before that you left Ghana at 18. Yeah. You were already an artist in your soul yeah. at the time, but also a boxer and yeah. also a musician. Yeah. And Senegal was really a place, you told me, where you felt home, I yeah. guess, yeah. where you, you met important persons. Yeah. Can you say something about your time there and why it was important for you? Yeah, my time in Senegal arriving as a, as a teenager and um, not knowing where to start from by immediately people because it was challenging in the first years in Senegal. My first week, second week was challenging. Even the Ghanaian community was funny, challenging to accept me that at this age, why should you leave home? And so they were all worried why I left home at this age. Because this is it's, it's not an African culture at this young age to to, to, leave home. to leave home and go. So they were worried, and then it have to take time till one or two young Ghanaians at my age have to know me and communicate that oh he's different, he's more than we think. I mean, that's somebody with a lot of knowledge, and then. So he will facilitate this and he will put me through 
and then yeah I I was I was working in Ghanaian restaurant and immediately I found myself in a five-star restaurant working for cooking for ministers presidents and 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 so you can imagine then that's where I got some doors open. yeah some doors open I got into this world of uh, I will live with the most famous most powerful people in Senegal and then that's where also living with these people start modifying my my mindset I was I was educating myself like reading books like uh, Monica Lewinsky on, and Bill Clinton those days I'm talking about people who, are, who have met Bill Clinton with preachers and in our saloon and meet dignitaries and, and so and this will more influence more my part as an activist more than an artist so everything I create have to be something that may bring a social change it wasn't about me and if it's about me I make sure while it's solving my problem it's solving the problem of the masses at least part of the masses and do, you, do you think that because today you you work with sub-saharan communities and um, through the minority globe which yeah. you founded you you find creative ways to transform these stories of displacement yeah. of migration into to theater into dance into poetry do you think that your vocation to do this is, was for you because you yourself were displaced yeah. Oh yeah, the more you go, the more you, 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 you learn and the more you learn, the more your mindset start changing. From the beginning, you'll be like, maybe you've seen one option and then you realize there are thousands of options and then you are trying to communicate these options to the masses around you and but you don't find it. So you have to be the option. You have to be showing the option by practicing the different options and they'll be like, okay, okay, now we see we see it it's it's more easy to 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 do than to teach and so by doing it they see the options when you are teaching it it's just words that are like somebody reading poetry and then all you remember is the voice the way he's narrating it but you you'll find it challenging to remember the words the person was so it's the same thing but by doing it now they get it they get a big picture and then they want to get involved everybody comes one comes okay I'm, i'm taking this i think this is good for me and so everybody is taking a piece of the cake and making it a life and, and the options are lived through right which yeah. i think for you seems to be very important the, the lived experience because despite seven years in senegal and you could have stayed yeah. with all these all these people you persons you met and communities you you gathered you still decided to move on Uh, in search of other sounds, yeah. you traveled through different parts of West Africa, all the way to North Africa. Yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit about that story, which in the end got you to Rabat and to Casablanca. Oh, yeah. So I, as, a, as a child, I was fascinated about the desert. Anything got to do with uh, Tuaregs, Bedouins and Droma there. I was fascinated. So. For me, the only way to see this in West Africa is by going through borders, the desert and other things. And this gave me, so I really saw it. I, I experienced it. I went to live. What we see in the documentaries about the Sahara, I was into it. And so that could be one of the biggest um, things. What, what was that fascination about the desert? Oh, the fascination you about this calm, about this massive dune, and you are in the middle of nowhere, nothing is happening, you know, within a twinkle of an eye, you are nobody. And, and you are there, and then you listen to the sound 
of the wind because the only voice you hear when you are there is the wind. And so then you, you, you go through your imaginations to listen to songs in your head that are created within that instant. So within that instant, you have several songs which are composed in your memory and it keeps singing. And this experience, I've had it and I've had, never had enough. You know, so, and I realized doing this is by traveling through borders and to be listening to the sounds that the wind gives you than listening to a music, real music on the radio, over listening to, because when you are in this zone, Mali, Burkina Faso, around this zone, you have a lot of music which is different from Ghana. And but then these are wind music. So consuming it and getting into the desert and then you, you start composing in your head. This was what I was looking for, peace. I mean, when you ask me if I've seen paradise before, I'll tell you, yes, where? It's on the desert. For me to keep doing that is through borders, traveling, meeting people, then you start discovering people. Then you want to hear people, the people who are living in this part of the world or this landscape. You want to hear from them, what are their stories? Are they hearing the same sound you are hearing in the wind? Are they hearing the same thing? And so this is what creates the desert and this is what creates um, the, the, the landscape. This is what creates the mapping for Yemo. This is what creates the mapping for the minority globe to realize that there are a lot of options. How do you tell these stories? I think it's by doing than by explaining. And this is what the minority globe is doing. We can move to, we have postcards yeah. in front of us on the table. You showed them to us and these images are going to get uh, mounted yeah. in Parc de la Ligue Arabe, yeah. Parc Yasmina. Yeah. Um, very large scale, yeah. we saw you walking with the posters this morning. Uh, they will be hanging outside, so it's going to be an exhibition to public. Yeah. No outside, entrance ticket. No outdoor exhibition. It's going to be outdoor exhibition because most of our project of the minority globe, it has been to the public. Most of the time when art is happening, the masses think it's not for them. Yeah. It's for the bourgeoisie, it's for the rich people, and we can get access. And so we came in and we are like, no. And this is what few are already doing in Morocco, in Casablanca, what is interesting. A lot of things happen outdoors in those days when you could do things. So, And then you're like, okay, you go to the museum and I've been to galleries and most of the time somebody's always asking me some funny question. I was in a, I was in a gallery, an, an opening and this man walks to me. Do you understand what is happening here? Look, I'm pretending. I don't know what is happening here. How do they... Why I see everybody admiring these things on the walls, but I don't know why they do that. I say, look, go with the flow. It's a feeling. I can't explain to you. I'm not even sure the artist who created it can really pretend to explain to you fully. So what you are living now, it's what is the experience. That's, maybe, the, experience that's the experience, maybe. So go with the flow. And then. Well, and the, the thing is that I think art, uh, creativity in general, it asks of us to push our boundaries, yeah. boundaries inside us yeah. this time. Yeah and to maybe lose our bearings, mm. like uh, uh, dare to get lost, yeah. dare to not know, yes. right? So maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit, like what is the work you did? With the, we're looking at, there are now four, four postcards on the table, beautiful, very strong women, yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in very striking poses also, and, yeah. and the, the look that they give us, it's, it's, it's special. Yeah. So how did they come about and... Uh, 
and yeah, what is the work that was done behind this to make this possible, to make this option possible? So for, for this option to happen, like mostly I realized, I realized me as a, as a male artist behind the camera, I realized that when I take the camera and put it on the female, I realized what happens. Because before I didn't see this, I was seeing right, I go into uh, the African photography archive, even do African have a photography history, it's still new, you know, because it only started in the 80s and it's still new with Malik Sidibe and his educator. It's, it's still new. But when you go into the archives, you always see women in front of the camera and mostly in the olden photos taken by foreigners who were those documenting these. You see most of the women half naked and, and this is what these photographers were looking for because this is what their audience was expecting. And going through all this, I'm like, I wouldn't, I'll, I wouldn't be happy if my mom is presented this way. So what is going wrong? What is going on? And then you have to check and you find out because there were not much female photographers behind the, behind lens. the lens. They didn't have access to it. So there were those being photographed, either with their children in the landscape or in the market side. They are mostly those being photographed. And I was like, okay, what if you give the camera to the woman? What will she photograph? And so this how this project came up through the COVID. We did a, a distribution. We couldn't go around and to distribute food kits. So I, I was sending money to people I trusted, go to the supermarket, buy this stuff, send me the receipt and send me photos. And be an artist, I insisted on which pose I needed when you're taking the photos. So you give food, food to somebody, food kit. Not everybody want to be photograph when you are giving them something then you put them in a position of vulnerability i don't want that so let them take a bag of rice at five kilo or farine whatever they should cover the face and make a pose for me so we have these for about 100 photos like this and i was posting off facebook and because for those who contributed on the GoFundMe. I did the crowdfunding i did for them to see where their money was going yeah. and then artists started contacting me is it an art project? And I was like, hmm, I never thought of this. So why not? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm liking the photos. Everybody was like, could you? I mean, journalists and everything. Can we be part of your project? I'm like, no, it's just a, we want to be part of it. Food distribution system. Food distribution. But at the same time, looking at the photos, the quality of the photos the women took, you knew immediately this was an art project. This is how they, I worked the project started. These uh, women that I see on the photograph, they photographed each other or what yeah. was the dynamic? Yeah, the dynamic like this, there are few there are few I took, there are many they took. This image, these are two participants, one from the Ivory Coast, one from Guinea Conakry. And um, it happens that it's out of the city. It's a place you call typical village. You are not expecting to meet creative there. You are just doing a workshop and they happen to be the most creative in the project. And so this lady couldn't communicate well in French, but behind the cameras, she would take the same photos that an European woman would take. 
And so I was surprised. I started asking a lot of questions. Is your father a photographer? Is, is there is an artist in your family? I, I, for three you days. Mean, you mean that there was like a European aesthetic? Like yes. a kind of Western aesthetic? Yeah, West, Western. I mean, there were photos. I mean, there are photos. As, as an artist, there are work. You, you look at immediately. You know that this is, okay, this is African person behind doing this. And there are works, and there are confusing work. Her work was confusing. And I was like, Okay, this way we're looking for somebody who cannot talk but can use art to communicate. She was able to use the camera to communicate. So I wanted to find out. Then she started coming up that she loved photography. She's been using her phone. What is, what is her name? So, so we can acknowledge her? She's called uh, uh, Aminata, Aminata Toure. Aminata Toure. Yeah, she's called Aminata Toure. So she was very fascinating. And then there was another young woman, there was another young woman from the Ivory Coast whose cousin is a, a well photographer, well-known photographer. So you have a lot of creativity on that side coming. And that's why I was like, okay, you're more relaxed. Let them do it. And they learn once. You don't see them twice. Compared to the big cities in Casablanca, I do the same thing. I, I, you have to explain to them not to pause, they will pause. They just understood it and they were creating. So that was one wonderful thing. When the space is empty, there's creativity. When there's not much, too much memory in the space, there's not too much image, creativity gets to the fullest. And so that's why I told you we don't give them alternatives, we give them options. Options means we are not subtracting something we are giving them just like it is because back in the days people were more focused because there were less things to see there was there was less information but now that we have billions of information people are lost you mean also like the visual over overdoses yes. of this world yeah. yeah the visual overdoses of this world and everything so it's, it's challenging to get real creativity in big cities but you easily found it at in empty space, like when you go into the suburb, into the into the periphery, you you see things that you are surprised. Wow! What do you mean by by empty? Because this word um, came back a couple of times this week, and you were my last conversation during this visit to Kaza. So I want to understand what you mean, because, for example, uh, Samba Sumbunu. Yeah says that the Kazui, the, the, the Badui, they are not empty. Yeah. They are people full of lived experience. Yeah. So for him, empty is something negative, yeah. like a negative myth, idea oh, yeah. about the Bedawi. And you just mentioned on our way here in the Medina, um, some buildings are left empty and then they will get destroyed. Groko mentioned that. And then once they are really empty, then they can get removed. Yeah. So... There is also kind of a negative notion of emptying out, but I have the feeling you are using it in another in a way. way. Yeah, how do you? So, what is empty for you? Emptiness for me, emptiness. Each word we use, it depends on which context we are using it. Emptiness, which I keep repeating, to like me, the desert. Yeah, like the desert is a space where your your mind refreshes. There are not too much information, not too much image. You are in the empty, you are, you are faced with the sun, the dune, the weather. Yeah, so more like a kind of simplicity, simplicity. of the life. Of the simplicity of life, that's where creativity gets to the fullest. When you are big, in the big cities, everything you create, it's already made. Déjà vu. Yeah. And so uh, tomorrow, right, your exhibition. Yeah. And as we said, it's an exhibition to public. 
no entrance fee. People, yeah, visitors of, of the park can see it. Yeah. What do you hope that these images in that spot, what do you hope will happen by showing these images large scale in, in public space? I mean, we are, we are living in a world of more of visual culture than uh, um, sound comes next, right? So visual culture, what people see today is what influenced their lives. Before, in the 80s, 90s, it's what they hear. But now it's what they see. And so how do you, I mean, as an artist, why not make use of the what is available now to influence maybe the thinking, not trying to change something, but then to influence the thinking because what we see, what a child sees as the museum, as a child, will influence, the, will decide what the child will become. It's not something made for bourgeoisie, it's made for also for you. You can also even go and do it because it can change the mindset. Okay, people around me and I'll, I'll call them names, but then I'm seeing them on photographs everywhere down. And it works on the mental and the psyche that, okay, these people are here. And so even these calling names will disappear because now they are on your face and you don't know why they are there, but then they are there. They are there and they are here to stay, yeah. the sub-Saharian communities. Do you think that these images might change um, the image of other uh, citizens on this community? Is there also uh, maybe a stigmatization issue of... Uh, because how is the relation between the sub-Saharian yeah, communities and... The relation is that y you are the stranger. You, are, you always remain the stranger. And whilst you know that you are settling down, you have to say, I, I am here. Because in human history, nobody has ever given something. We were only taught in the Bible or in the Quran that God gives. Nobody is coming to give you as a beggar on the street. If not, we should have to interview the beggar to know if they are satisfied receiving. You know what I mean? Nobody gives, so you have to take it respectfully, but you have to take it. So. Look at me, it's also like I'm taking my space. That's the title of the exhibition. Yeah. Look at me. Look at me. Taking my space because I'm here. And I don't know how long I'll be here, but I'm here to stay. Because if, if I go, somebody who looks like me will still come. Even 100 years time, somebody who looks like me will still come, so I'm here. Thank you so much, Yemo, for this wonderful conversation. Welcome. In Search of the Pluriverse is part of the Travelling Academy, an initiative of Het Nieuwe Institute in close partnership with the Consulate General in Istanbul and embassies in Germany, Morocco, Spain and the UK. The Travelling Academy brings together makers from these regions and the Netherlands to learn how formal and informal ways of knowing can support each other in tackling ecological, sociopolitical and spatial issues.